In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. So today is our actual, if I've done the calculations correct, today is our Christmas uh, episode, uh, which I think will be coming out in in the U.S. on actual Christmas. Um, (laughs) So here we are. It's actual Christmas. Actual Christmas Christmas 2022. Merry Christmas to you, Amy. I hope you're having an excellent Christmas day, uh, perhaps with a Christmas ham. I don't really know. Um, but I was reminded this morning when I was preparing for this that um, only a mere couple weeks ago, you told me that when you think of Christmas, you think of England. <laughs> yeah, I d- and I, you know what, I'll stand by that. And so this movie that we're talking about this week is also set sort of in the holiday time in England. Okay, okay. And is this what you meant? Mm, That would be a hell no. Um, No, I did not know for the majority of the time I was, like, waiting for Christmas to happen in this movie. I was, like... Yeah, I kind of was as well. Or I was, like... Yeah, and I was like, or are we past Christmas stuff? Maybe this is, we're just back into normal stuff. And then the only reason I, like, figured out what the connection must have been is because I looked it up, looked up a little bit of information about the movie because I was, um, a wee lost. (laughs) But, um, yeah, this is, uh, the opposite of a merry movie, I would say. (laughs) No, it was quite a serious one. Uh, this year, my picks for Christmas movies have been a bit on the dark side. Which, yeah. Like, was not intentional by me. Like, I am not, listeners and Amy, I am not going through a clinical depression episode. I really promise <laughs> that that's not what's happening here. Um, but I guess the the truth is, first of all, like, Christmas sci-fi movies are limited. Um, But also, you know, I guess that's the thing is like Christmas is both a time of light and joy and togetherness, but that also has like, you know, um, the flip side of dark and sad and solitude, I suppose. Um, Or isolation. Um, yes. This movie, I, I wouldn't say, is dark in quite that way, necessarily. Um, oh, gosh. It's dark in, like, every way, though, really. like Yes, it's, it is not a 
good picture of the future, which again is something common to science well, wait, fiction. We don't. Yes, really quick. Can I just say something that I was thinking about yeah. today in terms of that specific thought? This movie is like particularly dystopian, like where it really is yeah. like trash can fires and like guns right. shooting all the time. But right. I was trying to think of a movie that's set in the future or even a TV show that's like set in the future or sci- science fiction in the future where it's not a little bit bleak in terms of the view of what our future will be. Like there oh, are different well, la- layers of it or different uh, levels of the bleakness, right? Sure. But and you know I'm not talking about like the Jetsons or like things like that. That's you know pretty rosy for uh, a look at the future. But I mean, there's everything is else. Named Rosie, so exactly. That. <laughs> yeah, it's literally Rosie the robot. But like everything else, like there's a twinge of like we still haven't figured this shit out yet, sort of. You know what I mean? Like, I want the movie where it's like, we've figured this out. We are happy in the future. (laughs) Dunzo. You know? Well, so so first of all, you've completely forgotten most of Star Trek. That shows a a more hopeful human future. Not perfect, just more hopeful. That's true. That's true. And that is one of the ones I was actually having this conversation with mom. And that is one of the ones she brought up. But they're in space and then they have space problems and they have like aliens that they have to deal with. And that's like. Right. So that's not great either to me. But I, but yes, well, it's definitely on the more optimistic side. Yes. And the, and here's the, the sad truth, Amy and our listeners. Um, oh, so that we are doomed. Not that we are doomed, no. <laughs> um, I've had to say variations on this to many people in my life this week for reasons that are silly and weird and odd that I would say them. But um, simply existing means that you will encounter difficulties. Like, it's just not possible right. not to. And so... Even in a great version of the future, like a Star Trek, um, like uh, the Orville, like, um, I'm trying to think of some of our other more positive things that we've done in the past. There's there's more than we might imagine, I guess all those ones, like, all those ones that um, I've skipped over are all ones that happen in big gray spaceships. So I've just kind of deleted those from my memory. <laughs> right. Um but like, but sometimes they come back to earth in various ways. Um, Mm. but like, even then, even when we have like the cure for cancer, even when people don't need money anymore, because we've realized that's terrible. Like, you know, even in the more hopeful visions of the future, it's not like being alive is not going to carry with it. All the same challenges, you know, like, that is yeah. not something that we can escape. And I think... Um, but I think we should try. I mean, it would be nice <laughs> to imagine that could be true. Um, I don't think yeah. it's particularly realistic to imagine that that could be true. No. Um, just, but there is. Just there does seem to be... Just is a challenge. Like, it just yeah, is. But, yes, that's true. That's true. I mean, 
every movie that has to, that is in the future is technically science fiction, but we are so, I think, as a human race, obsessed with, like, apocalyptic scenarios where it's, sure. like, end of times and, like, how does – or, like, the human race is on the verge of extinction and, like, how do we deal and right. – It's how just a little bit of an – How does the end? Yeah, it's kind of a I, – I guess I understand why we're obsessed with it, but we are obsessed with it as a – human race i would say based on our movies <laughs> we're obsessed yeah, with it i mean we want to think the many about ways. how the yes how the story ends are we the authors of our own destruction yeah um it's it's kind there's, of there's so like, many different uh, like options out there there's pandemics there's right everybody becomes infertile and there's you know I, like yeah, all the things and I, I would agree that like where we where our actual reality is now is at least partially the kind of collective unconscious manifesting all of these dystopian stories in a particular way. I I think there's something to be said for that. Like we make what we want to see happen happen or even what we fear to see happen happen. Like to some extent I think that's true and I think that's kind of the moment that we're living in now that we've fed ourselves so much of the dystopian short-term future story that's mm-hmm. the other thing like star trek and the more hopeful things are further along they're farther away yeah and so and even star trek posits that there is a world war three that there's various bad things that happen to the world first that then we have to go through that before we get to restart sort of right yeah um, so yeah. we have been telling ourselves for quite a while that humanity is shit has to hit the fan <laughs> downturn before it can like have an upswing and so that's not great and i think it is can sometimes be like a self-fulfilling prophecy Hello, everyone. Welcome, listeners, to our Christmas episode. Which and actually, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I actually stand by that. I think today, on today of all days, um, I am Sarah Walsh. I'm here with my co-host and sister, Amy Walsh. And today of all days, all we can do as a people, as a culture, as a collective is try our best to be as kind and gracious as we can and that includes with whatever horrifying family members you might find yourself around <laughs> today. And just hope for the best. Get out, you know, like find the good and the bad. The like best. eat a pile of ham, talk to your horrible uncle, drink a nice <clears throat> glass of wine, let your grandma blabber on about something from 1958. You know, like just <laughs> and then at the end of the day, when the celebration is over, you'll say, that was fine. And and that's it. That's all you need to I do. survived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Like Yeah. That's all we need to do. So or I hope you know that what? Or you don't what? you don't have to go. You you can choose to oh, not go if it's too you much. You can choose to not go. There's uh, there's a whole range of things that you can yeah. engage with on this day. Um, whether you care about Christmas or not, whether you are religiously yeah. bound to celebrate it or not, you can do with this day as you will. And we're so glad that you decided maybe to listen to us on this day. So that's <laughs> our Christmas gift is your ears on our voices. Oh, my um, God. So anyway, Amy, why don't you tell everyone what we are talking about today? The birth <sighs> of our Lord. Oh, man. Day. 
Oof. We are talking about the most uplifting movie I've ever seen. Um, it is Children of Men, and it came out in 2006. Indeed. Um, and I will say a little bit that um, the writer and director of this, Alfonso Cuaron, who we've also flirted with when we watched Gravity, um, he did say oh. that the ending of this movie, um, kind how you interpreted it did depend on whether you considered yourself to be kind of more of a hopeful person or a more pessimistic uh, person. Yeah, here's what I got to say. Not that we will talk about the end yet, but I did, like, I was a little bit doing a little bit of reading of this because I was trying to figure out, like, the Christmas link. And, sure. um... They were in this, I guess it was probably just like the Wikipedia page, was sort of acting like the Chris, it was released on Christmas in the U.S. anyway. And um, so that's one connection. But they were kind of acting like the release of Christmas Day was connecting with like the hope and faith of the movie. And I got to say, my first thought was this movie had hope. (laughs) Like, I understand. (laughs) I I understand that like of I understand that like it didn't end on in a place of like total despair I suppose yeah but but it wasn't <sighs> judging from like the rest of the events of the movie I was not confident that whatever happened before the blackout was necessarily right. going to be a good thing the best or like the salvation of humanity or anything. Yeah. And I don't I know. Guess I, what, I, what Alfonso Cuaron might say is that indicates that you're not a particularly hopeful person, but what I, I might I would not be. say, you might not be, but I would also say, I think that people who have lived through 2020, 2021 and 2022, <laughs> uh, which is everyone basically. Um, yeah. Our our understanding of hope or our relationship to hope, I think, has been quite fundamentally changed. And so I would be be interested to hear what Koron might say now, you know, about that Mm. same thing. But at the time, Mm -hmm. in 2006, it's like, yeah, sure, I guess it is, you know, a bit of a litmus test (laughs) about how hopeful you might be or not be. I Um, guess. So now just... To kind of place us, the IMDb description of this movie is that in 2027, I don't like how close we're getting to this future. I know. I I was concerned. I mean, like, (laughs) because The Purge was in 2022. This is 2027. Like, I just mean, I don't mean this future in this movie. I just mean that in general science fiction movies, a lot are set in these years that are now happening. And I don't like that. I know. And I don't don't know why that was. I don't know if it's like... That seemed so far away to us, like at the beginning of the 2000s where it's like, or it was like this we, this weird middle ground where it's like, we kind of knew we'd all be, we'd all get there, but yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. So in this case, in 2027, in a chaotic world in which women have somehow become infertile, a former activist agrees to help transport a miraculously pregnant woman to a sanctuary at sea. Um... Now, this particular movie, I guess, has connections to Christmas, as you said, on the, in the first place, because in the United States, it was released on Christmas Day. Um, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a British movie, so it wasn't released on Christmas in the UK. 
Um, but mm-hmm. I think that is part of why, like, this movie made it onto my the list that I found of like Christmas sci-fi is just that it was released mm-hmm. around Christmas time, and of course it yeah. has a miraculous birth, which of course is the story of Christmas um, from the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. and then. As well, it's based on a 1992 novel of the same name by British author P.D. James. And that book is even more driven by kind of the Christianity narrative than the movie Mm. has turned out to be. Um, So in fact, like P.D. James has said um, specifically that this is an allegory derived from Psalm 90 um, of the King James Version of the Bible, which says, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return ye children of men. So that's um, where kind of... WTF does that mean? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I'm no... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I, yeah. Let's not get sidetracked. But so these yeah. are like the semi-tenuous connections to Christmas. Okay. In the movie, and then as well, the movie starts on the 16th of November, uh, oh, yeah, 27. So it's kind of, it's oh, actually yeah. more a bit more of a Thanksgiving movie in the American <laughs> understanding. But as I think I've it seemed Thanksgiving to, to me, yeah, nothing says Thanksgiving just like explosions, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and shootouts and stuff. I yeah. mean, although in the US that might well be the case, the Thanksgiving yikes, um, yikes. But, like, uh, what was I saying? Oh, I was saying, because I think we've talked about this off-air before, that, like, in countries that don't have Thanksgiving, November is already deep Christmas season. Um, Yeah. So there's that possibility as well. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the other things that I'll just mention is that Cuaron um, didn't want to make this what he described as a pure science fiction story. Um, so he didn't, he really wanted to focus on the journey of the characters, Theo and Key, rather than, for example, explaining like what, why are people infertile? Like what happened there? Um, yeah. So there's no discussion of that. Um, there's no discussion of like, there's not really much information or exposition about the terrorist group, the fishes that we get yeah um, introduced to we don't learn about this place where key wants to go called the human project we don't really know what that's about yeah um okay so this, this makes this makes me feel a little bit better because i definitely um throughout watching it and i don't know like maybe i missed something but i was like obviously i could tell who the good guys were ish right <laughs> I mean, the two leads were, like, the only two I was positive about. And Mm -hmm. the rest of the time, I was like, I don't understand who the bad guys are or what they're trying to do necessarily. Well, yeah, we can talk about that character Luke and what he seemed to be doing. Because I was also a little foggy on that um, until, like, kind of thinking about the movie after the fact. Yeah, um, and then, like, well, and we'll get there, but, like, closer to the end when I, the, we'll talk about, like, the whole, uh, like, baby children stuff part. But, like, yeah. I was a little bit taken aback by that whole thing that happened with – anyway, we'll get there. But yeah, I and was I, I also, was confused. 
Yeah, and I should also note that even the IMDb description is not really what I thought was happening because it says that women specifically were infertile. And the movie, to me, I was like, oh, I thought it was just everyone. Like, everyone, men and women, were infertile. Right. And so, um, and this, I mean, that just to me as a historian of science jumped out because I'm like, oh, yeah, because for the longest time, part of the reason infertility um, was mistreated and misdiagnosed is because people only assumed that women were infertile. Um, right. And, and there couldn't possibly any, like, be anything wrong with, yeah. With the sperm or anything. So, like, um, so I'll just point out that to me, this story is not about that women are infertile and therefore Key is this like truly exceptional woman, but rather that everyone is infertile. And that's why it's even more kind of miraculous that she has become pregnant because that means both the person who's the father, who we never know who that is, and her were fertile together. Mm -hmm. So that's quite a miracle. Um, Mm -hmm. And then... Finally, kind of the, we, well, we already talked about how the, this is kind of like a Joseph and Mary story, yeah. you know, um, so that's mm. where we are. I didn't really in get terms, that when I was watching it, but I could understand that looking back. Yeah. Um, in terms of the cast, we really only need to know two people, and that's Theo mm-hmm. Farron and Key. Theo Farron was played by a 42-year-old Clive Owen, um, who... I think it was, oh yeah, when we talked about Brazil, we talked about the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and so he also went Mm -hmm. there. Um, He has been around for a lot longer than I realized. Um, His first IMDb credit was in 1987. I like him as well. Um, And he kind of has regularly combined um, work in TV, theater, and movies and continues Mm -hmm. to do so. Um, one of his earlier appearances that might ring a bell with some people was that he was in Gosford Park, um, mm. which is a great kind of um, old-fashioned British uh, manor mystery murder kind of thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Born Identity. Um, but I would say that from what I was looking at of his credits, this was probably his really big break into the American like market and from there mm. kind of the global uh, act movie market. Um, mm-hmm. He was the primary protagonist in a TV series called The Nick, which was about the Knickerbocker Hospital in New York City. Um, and then oh. this was a bit of a surprise to me. He recently played Bill Clinton in a, what? a recent stint of American Crime Story. I know. I I can't picture it. I <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't see that. I'm not going to lie. Um, that's wild. I know, right? And it's also just like, why are these British actors keeping stealing roles from American actors? Surely there was an American guy who might have sufficed. I don't that. even care about that. But, like, he just doesn't even, like, in the slightest. I know. Have, well, but the thing is, is have like a Bill Clinton from, vibe, even. This movie is from 21 years ago. So now Clive Owen is in his 60s. Oh, that's true. No, it's not. And they will both soon realize their mistake. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. I I guess Um, he's a little bit more silver. He could be better suited now. I don't know. Um, That's interesting. Then the character of Key is played by Claire Hope Ashity, who was 19 when this movie came out. 
Um, she only has one credit before this. Really? Oh, she's so yeah. cute and young. So she was basically an unknown. And the reason she's so young is because, we'll talk about it, like the infertility basically kicks off right as she is being born, is what I understand oh. to be true. Yeah, because, oh, because is she supposed to be 19 in the movie? Around that or- age, yeah. Okay, so then she would be, because they talk about at the beginning, oh, we'll talk about it, but, like, then that would mean she was on the low end of, like, some of the youngest people alive. That's right. That's right. Um, wait, did I do that math wrong? No, no, I did do that math right. Oh, wait, so he's only, Clive Owen is 58 now, so I think I maybe did that math wrong for his um age he's probably oh he's 32 rather than 42 right no that's not right no i wasn't <laughs> anyway i don't i'm not age. even i'm not even gonna pretend <laughs> what, i know math i'm not even listening um um oh because i'm just trying to see what he looks like now i miss that's where i did the math wrong 2006 to 2022 is actually only 14 years right no wait yeah no, 16, what? I hate, I hate everything. <laughs> I'm I'm really losing my mind. Clearly, um, thank God Christmas is upon us, so I can have a break. Yeah, get me um, out of here. Um, but oh, what were you gonna say? Oh no, I just found a side by side of think of him as Bill Clinton. I still actually am not seeing it, but whatever. Anyway, fair enough. Um, so then, in terms of key. Uh, or Claire Hope Ashity, uh, she is been in some stuff, but it seems like her career is still maybe in the process of taking off. Um, so there are also some really I enjoyed appearances um, by Michael Caine, Chiwetel mm-hmm. Ejiofor, Julianne Moore, and Pam Ferris. Um, but effectively, this is. Just two people that we really need to care about in this story. Yeah. Um, and as we might expect in a movie such as this one, we start with voiceover of newscasts. We hear about something called the Thousand Day Siege of Seattle. Um, Yikes. That Muslim communities in a variety of different places have started occupying mosques. I think the implication there is that they're being, like, attacked And so they're, like, kind of seeking refuge in these places. Yeah. Um, We also hear that something called the Homeland Security Bill has passed and that all borders um, to Britain are going to be closed. It's not entirely clear, like, when that is happening, Um, but -hmm. this becomes important to the story, kind of the role of... Uh, refugees and migrant communities is a really central component to this story. Yeah. Um, And then we also learn that all immigrants as a result of this closure are going to be deported from the British Isles um, back presumably to their homes, their countries of origin. Um, So that's where we start. That's rough. Doesn't seem great. Um, No. And I guess... I guess we haven't even gotten into it yet, but like, I guess I don't understand this sort of central conceit of this movie being Mm. that, that infertility and the non-existence of children 
mm-hmm. would bring about this situation. I understand well, that it like like I, I understand that children I, are like the future and like without that right that's a song could seem I know that children are the future. That. <laughs> yeah, that's I was just I'm just singing in a song. Um but I understand that and I understand that that could be like once you lose that hope then it's like all hell could break loose I guess maybe that we believe that's what we might believe but it just seemed yeah odd that this was the reaction to that like just all out yeah chaos, sort I mean of. I I think I think yeah I think you're right that the first step and I feel like maybe perhaps one of the characters even says this but I can't remember which one at some point but like once no more children seemed to be being born um and mm-hmm. humanity basically was under the impression that, like, you know, the life cycle was going to be as long as whoever the youngest person was. Like, once that person dies, that's it, you know. And so, effectively, mm-hmm. once the last baby's born, and that's where we start is with the person who was the last person who was born. Like, yeah. once that person hits the end of the line, effectively society is over. So it's basically like we've yeah. got 70 years. Like as a species, we've got yeah. 70 years. And I guess that makes and, people go crazy? Well, I think it means that like if we don't have to care about longevity at all, then yeah. the important thing is to enjoy or to or to get something out of the now. And hmm. so then that... I think the implication is that it made people quite cavalier and like mm. there like there are those newspaper clippings that we see sometimes that suggest there's some sort of a nuclear um, meltdown in Africa. Um, yeah, the United States also seems like things are going wrong. You know, like so yeah. it seems like effectively what this movie is saying is like when when the clock really starts ticking. People are like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, okay. And I, and I have and I have no need to act nice, and I have no need <laughs> to like, I'm not going to do that. And that is equally yeah. true for countries. I mean, that's a scathing... You know. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's a scathing... If we, if we want to talk about... If we want to talk about hope for humanity and being hopeful, I think that's a scathing look at uh, human nature. Right. I don't, I'm not saying I disagree of, with it, but... And it's also, I don't think really, it doesn't seem to be how things really are because like, you know, we're now in 2022 and at the end of 2022 and climate crises. And we have about 70 years left and we haven't fallen into that destructive. And society is not going great, but it hasn't (laughs) collapsed. Right. Um... And so who's to say, but that's kind of the the message here is that, you know, if we're going out, we might as well just kind of do whatever we want. Fuck it all up. I guess. Yeah. Um, So in the cafe, we, we follow this news, like the voiceovers are happening first on a black screen and then we follow them into a newscast in this cafe and we learn that the youngest person in the world, a guy named Diego Ricardo, uh, has died. And that, in fact, he didn't die of natural causes, but he was killed um, by one of his, quote-unquote, fans and admirers 
um, who was asking him for an autograph and he refused to sign it. And then that person got so enraged, they shot him to death. Um, we learn that this, the world's youngest person was born in Mendoza in 20, in 2009. So again, this movie is interesting in that it plays with time. So it comes out in 2006, but it's saying like in a few years from then, we're going to see the last person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so baby Diego, as he was being called though, by now he's 18 years old. Uh, baby Diego was the last person to be born, uh, amongst humanity. Um, and people are watching the news and getting very upset to see this coverage. Um, but there's this one guy, Theo, who walks into the cafe, gets his coffee and walks out and seems completely unaffected by this news. And as he walks out onto the street, the street looks really quite unpleasant. Um, we see a good old Chiron that tells us it's London on the 16th of November, 2027. Um, we also learn, I mean, we, it's interesting how it kind of renders, uh, what the future might look like. Cause it's both like high tech and terrible because, um, yeah. that, that shot is on Fleet Street in London and quite a lot of the facades of the buildings have like, um, digital like billboard things and stuff which have indeed become is fleet street like a future mm, is fleet street like the main street there is that like a big deal street oh it's like a famous one um okay because that reminds me of sweeney todd (laughs) yeah yeah so so it's like it's futuristic in that sense and also when theo goes into his office people have like um, computer screens that are just like hollow imager, kind of like clear yeah. screens and stuff. Yeah. So we have these kind of nods to the future while simultaneously the street itself has a very like end of days, um, like you see like yeah. Shaw kind of stuff going on. Um, I mean, I was thinking he, like I've always wanted to go to London, but like this ain't what I want to go to. <laughs> not this, not this version. Um, yeah. And then he's putting booze in his coffee, so we know he's in trouble as a person. Um, and then as he's leaving, the cafe that he's just walked out of explodes. There's chaos on the street. And then we get the screen goes black again, and we see the title card, Children of Men. Mm-hmm. Um, when we... Then we're kind of briefly introduced to the world that Theo is living in. We see his office um, we where people are all kind of looking at their computers, crying about baby Diego. Um, then he leaves mm-hmm. the office and we see him get on uh, a train where there's like television screens in the train that show... Uh, the chaos that has erupted all over the world. Um, and then the screen says, the world has collapsed, only Britain soldiers on. What um, that, like, and what does that mean? <laughs> like, you mean the phrase soldiers on? No, I mean, like, literally the rest of the, rest of the world is gone. Well, that's the, that's the other thing that we don't actually know. And I think this is an interesting thread. We've talked a lot about British sci-fi on this show. And, and I do mm-hmm. think that there is a 
a difference to how British people do science fiction compared to uh, the United States and to other places in the world. Because I would say that quite a lot of science fiction is often kind of weirdly nationalist in some senses because people think people look at their their place in the present and then they try and extrapolate from that um so in this case uh what pd james and quaron were surely doing is they were looking at for example the british response to world war ii the british response to world war one which was this like we're gonna well soldier on buck up like stiff upper lip don't be we're just gonna keep going and that there's something noble in the keeping going and trying to keep things as though nothing is wrong that's a a very british response to certain things um but i think it's also interesting because we know that they've done this thing of basically saying Britain is not part of the rest of the world anymore. We're, de- we're deporting people. We're not letting new people in. Um, and at first I was like, oh, they need to deport people because resources are scarce. But then I was like, but if there are less and less people every day because people are dying but no one is being born, then resources can't be scarce. Like resources would be growing, you know? So like what does it matter right. if there are immigrants here or not? But I think the point is that, well, one, the point is cruelty. But beyond that, it's about controlling the narrative. Whoever, they don't want British people or anyone else to really know what might be happening elsewhere. Yeah. Um, Because all they're getting is their own internal news that says, like, that there's been this nuclear holocaust in Africa or that there's been a terrible disease in whatever place. Like they don't actually right. want information to start coming in about right. what may actually be happening in the world, mm-hmm. which is why this whole human project thing seems to be so difficult to find any information about. Right. Because it's like, that's some sort of entity that's existing outside of our scope. And so therefore it can't exist. Um, so I think that's what that means is like, whether it's true or not that the world has collapsed, that's what, that's the just what the information is. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Um, so he's on the train. We're seeing the world being quite miserable. This is also when he gets out of the train at the station, we see a variety of different, um, immigrants being rounded up and put into cages on the platform. Yeah. Um, And this is a a thing, we'll see this imagery again a number of times. Um, When he gets to the station, he's picked up by... Again, super (laughs) Christmassy. I know. Michael Caine's Jasper (laughs) picks him up at the station. um, And they hang out at Jasper's Mm -hmm. house. It's clear that this is kind of a long-term friendship. Presumably because we also get like a little taste that Jasper and his wife, Janice, Janice is now in a wheelchair and seems to be non-responsive. Like she used to be a journalist. There are newspaper clippings on the wall here as well that we see bits of. Um, And my, my inference is that perhaps Jasper and Theo know each other from activism days. Mm. Um, okay. And this is kind of the only time we learn all we're going to ever learn about the human project, which is that this is this kind of shadowy organization that seems to exist 
just somewhere else. It's not clear where. Um, and that they are working to end infertility, but we don't really know how they're doing that or under what circumstances. Um, mm -hmm. Theo returns to London, presumably later that evening. And then I guess this is the next day. The time on this is very strange. It's unclear to me how much time passes. Um, but basically, uh, he gets uh, kidnapped off the street and thrown into a van and then arrives at an undisclosed Terrifying. location. <laughs> I know. I would not be chill. And he's kind of chill. Like, to me, he seemed kind of chill about being black bag. I would say... I would say, like, the people in this movie, on the whole, for some of the, like, horrifying things that are happening around them, and I guess, like, we're supposed to understand that, like, this has been going on for a while, so it isn't as shocking to them. Right. But I would say, in general, they seem relatively blasé about pretty intense situations. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think probably. I mean, you I know could like, say, I, they're acting appropriately. It's not like they're acting like oh, this is right. no big deal, but right. they're definitely not freaking out. Let's say, okay, I'll put it in a different. They're not freaking out the way I would ha have this been <laughs> my life. <laughs> they're not just constantly walking around being like, ah! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you see how that explosion just happened? Oh my god! Exactly. Ah, there are people attacking the train. Do you see how there's that person in a cage and there's like many people in a cage? Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Like, they're um, not. They're they're not like they're not like constantly vomiting and constantly fainting, <laughs> which is like probably what my response would be. So like, they seem like they're okay. Yes, I mean, yes, I think it's like how do I want to say? Like, we can't. We can't act as though there's any one way to grieve or be traumatized or whatever. But I think it's also fair to say that, like, and we kind of saw variations on this during COVID, too. Like, when something is just so, so fucking bad, mm -hmm. it, it's just like it numbs you and you're like, okay. Yeah. I've, I've been kidnapped. Here we are. Like, <laughs> tell me what's going on. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And that's kind of the vibe that Theo has. I also just wonder, too, like, because he has this activist past, maybe this is a thing that has happened to him before. We don't know that, but could be. Particularly because... Yeah. So he's abducted by this group that we've... I think by this point, they've introduced this concept of a group that is, are identified as terrorists by the British government, known as the Fishes. Um, and then again, this is also like a biblical reference. Um... And so the fishes are run by Theo's ex-wife, Julian. Um, this is uh, Julianne Moore, plays this character. And specifically, it seems like Julian wants to talk, like that's why he's been kidnapped, because Julian wants to talk to him about something. And mm -hmm. specifically, what she wants to talk about is that um, she needs to get transit papers for a particular Fuji girl, that's what they're calling refugees in this world. Um, mm. And so whereas normally what would happen to someone who... And see, this is interesting too. I'm not so sure that Fuji 
applies the way we would apply refugee now because Mm -hmm. what it seems to be is more about being undocumented and so like you could be a refugee but you could also just be undocumented you know like it's not quite the same category right yeah um so anyway they need these transit papers and because Theo works for the Ministry of Energy, they imagine that he could somehow get these transit papers. And they offer him, I think, something like 5,000 pounds to do it. And he says he's not going to do it. He doesn't kind of want to put his neck out. My question is, what is money being used for at this time? Like, I mean, I know that... Well, he bought that coffee and he's got that I know, but how the hell much? What do you think? That coffee was $5,000? Like... I'm just curious, like, I guess $5,000 just doesn't seem like a good enough. I mean, and after this, he goes to the track and stuff. So, like, that's what I mean. That's what Mm, that soldiering on thing means is that, like, he has a job. Mm -hmm. He lives a life. We see his apartment. That's true, I guess. And he's watching TV. You know, like, so there is this sense of normality happening alongside everything I guess so. Um, so I guess that's so. why money still exists. Okay. Um, but even so, Theo says he's not interested in doing this. Um, I think the implication is that he, like, isn't an activist anymore. He's, like, not part of that life, so he doesn't want to do it. Um, uh-huh. And so uh, they drop him back off, and they say, like, well, if you change your mind, we're going to be watching you anyway, so you can, like, let us know with a symbol or a sign if you want to help us. Now, it's really not clear to me what kind of the motivation is, but we immediately basically cut to watching Theo arrive at this house that I think might be his brother's house. That was the vibe I was getting. And um, his brother seems to be a quite important person whose job is to collect artwork from places outside of Britain that are identified as like, quote unquote, falling apart, like their civilizations oh, right. are falling apart. Yeah. So he has like when he walks in, he has like um, the David Michelangelo's David and stuff like right. that. And this, too, to me, is very what I was saying before about kind of like the uniquely British flavor of Mm. this story. Because since we don't actually know for sure, because we were not shown it as an audience, that these civilizations are crumbling, we just have their word for it that they're crumbling. And the British love to steal shit from other people. They've done (laughs) it for hundreds of years. And so I was like, ooh, is this... Shots fired. um, Look, it is like a documented fact. And if they feel fussy about that, then all they have to do is look at their own crown jewels, which has an Indian diamond that they refuse to give back to India. So... Um, okay, I mean, I saw a whole uh, Trevor Noah special where he talks about the Queen and blah blah blah. So yeah, I get it. But um, yeah, and it's not to say that Americans don't also steal shit. They just haven't been oh, quite as successful on the same scale as, as British people have done. That's that's the difference. yeah. Because you know not... what, I think I think it's because <clears throat> and also here the I French, go. The French have stolen stuff from people. I oh, mean, like, every, any number. I mean, every, every, yeah, every civilization. Australians, hello. But, like, 
they there's something about the British people. Maybe they've been more successful <laughs> um, because um, they're a little bit more polite, on, ostensibly. Americans sure. are very, like, in your face and loud. Um, but, like, you would never suspect, like, a little British person to, like, be stealing shit. But because they seem so polite. Well, you and I wouldn't because we're not from the days when they were actively stealing shit. But in I know, the, in the I past, know. <laughs> I think people would have been very quick to be like, "Yeah, watch that guy. He has got something oh, okay. in his pocket." You know. Okay. Um, so this is what his brother does, and I was I kind of got a bit of a like, well, of course that's what the British would be doing is taking people's shit as the world falls apart. Um, but because he's like this powerful guy. He manages, this is who Theo has turned to to get transit papers from. And like mm-hmm. I said, it, he, he, you just saw him say he doesn't want to do it and now he's doing it. And there's no right. clear reason why that change of heart has happened. Um, afterward, we see, we're introduced to the character Luke, um, mm-hmm. played by Chuetel Ejiofor. Um, and Theo and Luke seem to also know each other from a, this past activist days, probably. And he says he's gotten these transit papers, but unfortunately, they are joint transit papers. That means that Theo has to go with the girl to kind of sell the story. Um, we then arrive again. So Theo gets his money, and he immediately goes to the track. I think this is the implication as to why he has no money in the first place, as he's been spending quite a lot of time at the track. Um... And at the tr- this is where he's, like, picked up by the fishes, and he has another interaction with Julian on his way to kind of meeting this girl he's supposed to go with. Um, and ju- this is when we learn, kind of most will ever learn, about Julian and Theo, that they used to be married, that they had a child together, um, and that when their child died, um, you know, basically, as often happens, the marriage died as well. And there's quite a lot of um, blaming and recrimination on both sides of that coin. Um, Then we get into this weird car where it's Julian, Luke, Theo, Key, and Miriam. Um, And it's unclear, I guess... I guess they must be driving to, like, this pickup point to the boat that will eventually be the whole thing. But it's not totally clear to me what's happening at the moment. Um, yeah. As as they are driving through this, like, wooded area, a burning car comes down into the road. And immediately there is panic from everyone. And this is, again, because... I, it took me a minute to figure out what was going on here because if I were yeah. driving on a country road and a burning car came down a hillside to block my way, it would be unusual. Like, I would be right. concerned. And I would want to, like, right. you know, plant, st- slam on the brakes, make sure I didn't hit it, like, all these things. But then I would be like, okay, is it my job to call someone? Is someone around? Like... Or do I just, like, drive around this thing? I don't know. But they react in a very different way from that. 
Um, and then the, and you get, then you realize that in this world, again, this is what I don't fully understand. I'm like, the, the amount of people on the planet is decreasing every day. And yet this is a world where it seems like resources are very scarce. And so I don't, I just, I have a hard time understanding how those can be true, but yeah, I agree. It turns out to be a thing in this world is that this is a common way for people who they don't even give these people a name but like I was calling them ravagers like mm-hmm. people who because they are also the same people who were throwing stuff at the train earlier I think like okay. just these people who seem so to they're be, just like menaces basically I guess like I don't they I don't I don't know where these this mob of people appeared from Right? Like, they come down over the hillside. And what do they want? I guess I don't understand what they want in this moment, also, for example. that's why, same. Like, I'm like, clearly the tactic is, is you distract a group of people with the burning car, and then they're sitting there like sitting ducks, and you attack them. But I'm like, but attack them for what? Do you hope that they have supplies that you want? Are you cannibals? Is that your thing? Like, yeah, I'm not sure. And in and particularly in this case, there will be a bit of a reveal, but like it seems like these people exist anyway, like th- that they're just kind of somehow marauding the countryside, and I'm like, right. I don't get it. Like I I I I would like slightly more. I don't know. Like I take Koran's point that maybe not everything needs to be explained, but I would have liked some of the world to be a bit more fleshed out so that I could appreciate some of these things. There was so much time in yeah. this movie where, like, the characters were reacting in a certain way, and I didn't understand why they, you know, like, because I was like, what is, oh, okay. Like, you know, like, um, and I, I don't know how effective that was all the time as a storytelling device. Um, yeah. Nonetheless... This this starts something that is actually one of the things that this movie is known for in terms of movie kind of technique and technology. So I'm not sure if you would have noticed this, but like the action sequences in this movie are extremely long, like often look like they're a single shot across the entire like action. The sequence. only reason the only reason I knew it was because again I did look up some information and saw that it that was a thing it was known for and then noticed in like the kind of last I would say action yeah, scene the final or shootout scene action scene is I, a really I noticed long it one. Yeah. I noticed it in that one I probably wouldn't have otherwise I'll be honest but I did I did see that online and yeah. it won like some academy awards actually that I was a little surprised about yeah, because this, so it's worth mentioning that the things that appear to be single shots are not actually single shots. Um, oh, really? They've been, I mean, they, they are quite impressive still, technically. Like, in, and I mean technically in the sense of, like, the technique used to do it is quite uh, sophisticated. Um, it's, yeah. it's also got a little bit of CGI to kind of, like, zhuzh some of it to like be kind mm. of flowing and whatever but it mm-hmm. so it did take like multiple days and varying shots to get that appearance yeah but it is still well, um quite like notable in how it appears to the audience yeah 
Right. Well, I've heard that too with other things that are like quote unquote single shots where like, I don't know if I've heard it on other podcasts or other people that are more in the know about cinematography and they'll say that, you know, single shot stuff basically doesn't even happen. Even if it looks like it's a single shot, there may be something where like uh, it goes by a pillar and they're able to cut in that, you know what I mean? Like, um, not to say they're that they're really challenging like, to do. Like they're challenging yeah. from a technical perspective. Especially if we're talking about like, from like a full the acting like, perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Especially um, in the, I but, mean, in that last scene when it's like shooting and all the right, technical aspects right. of that, like that would be very hard right. to do without extensive rehearsal and then like really right. getting it perfect. That's right. So in this particular one, what I mean, and again, like once the action is going, it's all it's single shot or no, it's very hard to see everything that's happening. So Julian gets shot in this melee because they because like Luke is driving the car, so he like immediately starts backing up. She gets shot. Um, Theo is trying to like help her, um, as they're like speeding away from this incident, cop cars show up. Um, and pull them over as Julian is bleeding out. Um, Luke gets out of the car and shoots both of the police. Um, It's unclear why. Um, And then they hightail it out of there um, to this, like, farm, I guess is the best thing I would describe it as, a farm that seems to be a stronghold for the fishes. And the point there is to kind of like lay low and regroup and figure out what to do. Um, Theo is like, this plan that I was originally a part of has now changed dramatically. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I want to go back to London. Um, Meanwhile, Miriam finds him and says that Key wants to speak to him privately in the barn. Um... When uh, she when he goes into the barn, she reveals that um, she is pregnant to him, and she physically reveals it. She like takes off her dress in front of him to show her big pregnant belly, which is fine. But I also thought it was like a little bit gratuitous because the shot begins by being on her breasts, and I was like. I don't think oh really? That I must have. I think I missed that. I think I was either looking away or not paying attention because I didn't remember that. Yeah, I mean, eventually yeah. pulls out to show her full, you know, like naked, yeah. pregnant body, which is well, I guess she's got underwear on, but like it start, it, it does go in on a chest shot, and I was like, well, that. I mean, come on, like weird. I don't like that. Um, I don't like that. I don't like it only, especially because you told me she was the actress was nineteen, and that feels. Right unnecessary and a little predatory yeah so nonetheless she reveals this to him and he's she says that there is a boat from the human project that is going to take her and her baby well at this point the baby is not born but like take her to find the human project and that that boat is coming tomorrow the next day and Two questions, or one question, okay. one interjection. Question, okay. the the boat is called tomorrow, and it's just, like, floating around in the middle of the, like, 
why? Because that's like no, no man's land, sort of like they can, in the sea they can do whatever they want. Um, I think, uh, I I don't know for sure, but my guess okay. is that. Well, how do I want to put this? So it is true even now that there is such a thing called international waters. Right. And basically what that means is like most countries that have some sort of um, coastline, I forget exactly how far it is, but there's a distance out from that that constitutes like this is still technically our territory. But once mm-hmm. you get out of that, then you're in international waters and then there is no specific country. It's a little lawless. Right, like whose jurisdiction yeah. applies. And so Got it. my understanding from that is that the human project stays in those waters on various boats, perhaps, um, so that they can pursue whatever it is they're pursuing in terms of dealing with human infertility. And they don't want okay. like, any government oversight. Okay, and, that makes sense. And it's, And I don't know why... He wants to go to them, but that's she's decided that's where she wants to go. Okay. And then my interjection is the lady who plays Miriam. Yeah. The whole time, the whole time I was like, God, first of all, her hair was driving me nuts. But like I know. Um, white people and dreads is just like not a thing you should be doing. Not good. I was like, damn, she, I, her hair is driving me crazy, but I was like, God, I recognize her and I like, couldn't place it. But I was like, eh, she's just like British. She probably has just played a bunch of like British old ladies, sort of. But I, I just, mean, she before, kind of has, but yeah. She has. But I then I looked up and I knew exactly what I recognized her from. And she played Trunchbull in Matilda. <laughs> oh, that's where I was expecting you to say because she's also the mean aunt in Harry Potter. Oh, see, that's funny because I saw that too, but I couldn't picture. Yeah, which she's the aunt that gets like that inflated by uh, Dobby. Oh or my no, god! By Harry. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's funny. Okay, I I couldn't place which character that was. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. so both of those things. She's good at that character, I will say, because the trunch. She's yeah. very good at Trunchbull, and she's terrifying. And she is a really big bitch as that aunt. So oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, and now she's quite loving in this, actually. And in this one, yeah, um, she's quite nice, except for her hair. Yeah. Her hair is bad. We just can't even discuss it. She's <laughs> one of two white people with dreads in this movie, which is not acceptable. Um, so he says that um, she, for I guess because she trusted Julian, and Julian was like, I trust Theo. So Key is like, I only trust you in this whole confab of people who are kind of helping me. And so I really need you to help me get to the boat. I Please don't leave to go to London. Um, and he's still kind of shocked by all of these various reveals. And so then the rest of the people, Miriam, Luke, and some others come into the barn and see what's happening. And Luke in particular is really upset that Key has shown... Theo, kind of the full situation of what the mission was or whatever. Um, and it's it's still not clear why he would be so upset by this. Um, yeah. But when we return to the farmhouse, we start getting some ideas as to why that's so. Because Theo basically is like, um, he should make her pregnancy public. Uh, in part because he's like, she needs medical care that she has Help, gotten. Yeah. And... Yeah. 
and that, you know, this is such a big piece of news that there kind of can be no downside to Mm -hmm. it. Um, But the rest of them in this collective of the fish really hate this idea Um, in part because they're like, well, she's a Fuji. They're not going to let her keep her baby. They're not like, this is a problem. Um, and so there's quite a lot of pushback. And that I don't, yeah, that I don't totally get because in this world where there are no babies and the infertility is the problem, wouldn't she be seen as, I understand that she's a refugee or whatever, but wouldn't she be seen as, like, a commodity? Well, I mean, I think the truth is there's no way to predict how someone people I are guess. going to react. And so it's yeah. probably wise to keep your identity secret, but... Yeah. Um, you know, there are varying ways you could do that. And so there's this moment where they're like, okay, Key, it's your decision what you want to do. And she decides that what she wants to do is continue with this plan of going to find the human project and being on their boat situation. That's what she decides. And everyone is like, okay. And Luke in particular seems really happy about this decision. But what we discover is that that's because Luke has rather underhanded nefarious plans in motion. Because um, when night falls, Theo overhears people, like, shouting outside. And when he looks down, he sees that... And this was one of the things where I was like, I really would have liked a bit more help here, Alfonso. Because I didn't (laughs) understand what, what was at stake. But basically, one of the actors who was sort of featured in that ravaging scene the melee he appears now and he's talking to Luke and it's like they know each other clearly and so and then Theo is like suspicious so he comes down the stairs and this is when he's like overhearing Luke and this guy talking in the other room like he stands outside the window and he hears them talking and what what Theo learns, and again, I don't even think the dialogue is super helpful in this way, but like basically what Theo learns is that Luke orchestrated that melee because he wanted to take Julian out because she was the leader of the fishes. And um, it sounded and this like... Is where I, this is where I started, well, not maybe was started, but this is where I continued to be confused about like good who the good guys were and what the goals were, I guess. Right. Well, and this is also I think kind of interesting. So, when we the extent that we learn anything about the fishes, what we learn is that the original reason for their existence is that they wanted to have Um, immigrants in Britain protected under all circumstances, that they needed rights and that that was what they, um, that was like their kind of whole mission was to protect immigrants from these homeland security policies and deportations and all these things. And you're like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I guess I like agree with that. Um, But then went earlier when Theo was kidnapped and talking to Julian, he said, didn't you blow up that cafe I was in? 
earlier and she's like we don't do bombs anymore so this is like the other thing is like and luke is a bit a good example of this where the reason he wants to take control of the fishes and the reason why it's revealed he wants to take control of key and her baby is because he's got some sort of plan about how he's going to use them in what he keeps calling his uprising um so so all of this is quite like yeah we're just not given enough information to know more than that but basically luke clearly feels like he's and you see this in various social movements there's there's usually some people in social movements who feel that um violence is kind of the only language that the authorities speak and so that's what we need to do and we need to have a violent revolution to create the new peace that we want that's kind of luke's thing julian it seems like maybe was a bit like that but had subsequently been like killing just random people is not a cool thing and i don't feel good about it and so we're not going to do that anymore and so when she had that change of heart it seems like luke decided I need to take over this organization. To take her out. Yeah. Um, so he arranged this whole thing. When Theo realizes that, he goes up to where Key and Miriam are sleeping in bed, and he's like, we need to get out of here right the fuck now. Like, these people, basically, he doesn't say this, but I think the implication is, these people are not going to let you leave tomorrow to go on this boat thing. They're absolutely not going to do it. Um, this is where we, then we get another long shot of a chase scene that starts. And this also was kind of interesting from the technique of it all. Cause the shot starts like as sunrise is happening. So when um, Theo is taking the car and kind of pushing it, you can, you can tell it's morning cause you can hear like the birds and the insects making morning noises. But then by the time the shot is over, it's like fully morning. Um, but Miriam, Key, and uh, Theo eventually escape from the fish's clutches, and uh, Theo takes them to Jasper's house uh, to hide for a bit. And this is when they make a new plan to get to this boat from the Human Project, because they were supposed to have met it, like the fishes were supposed to have taken them, but now that's not going to happen. Um, and... For whatever reason, Jasper comes up with the idea that because the boat is going to pass by some piece of shoreline that corresponds to this massive immigrant concentration camp. And so he's like, what you need to do is break into that concentration camp and get to the shore there. And um, yeah, not great. Uh, but he has a contact there, so that's kind of what they're doing, but they have to wait a little bit until they can start actually operationalizing this plan. As we're waiting, we learn that Key is eight months pregnant and that she does not know who the father is. Um, and she does do a joke of saying like, oh, I've never had sex before. So like, that's a bit of a funny one. Um, but what it was to me, what was implied was that she had been a sex worker. Oh gosh, and really? Yeah. There was something that she was saying and I was like, I think that sounds like she's a sex worker. Um, hmm. 
And so she gets pregnant from some man. And like I said, my interpretation is that this is even extra miraculous because I believe that everyone is infertile, not just women. So like, yeah. it's a miracle that he's yeah. fertile and it's a miracle that she is and they, they have this baby. Um, meanwhile, um, while they're all kind of hanging out and Theo's out of the room, we learn from Jasper, Jasper tells Miriam and Key that Theo used to have a son, that his son died in 2008. So before um, the infertility problem took off, but he died in a pandemic flu. Yikes. The son did. Yep. That they were off by a couple of years, but yikes. I know. <laughs> um, so that killed his son. And I guess it's also interesting. That could be something that, again, this movie doesn't do for us, but it could be. I wonder if perhaps we could say something like so the flu happens in 2008 and then infertility follows in 2009. Perhaps the two are connected in mm, some way. Interesting. But we don't. We don't know that, you know. Um, I won't say what I'm thinking. What, that infertility is around the corner for us as a human species? No, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to push any vaccine conspiracy theories. Oh boy, yeah, definitely don't do that. I don't want to be flagged by <laughs> Apple Podcasts um, for putting out misinformation. Um, yeah. So they all kind of regroup, go to sleep. The next day, Jasper's proximity alarm is going off. And at first I was like, oh, like the police are here. I don't know. But no, in fact, it's Luke and the fishes who are tracking them because they can't actually allow Key to leave. Um, and so Jasper is like, I'll distract them while you guys get away. Um, and that's that begins the series of goodbyes that happens for the remainder of the movie where um, Theo and Key think that their protectors are going to come with them till the end, but that doesn't actually happen. Um, and so in this particular version of that, they manage to drive away, but then Theo insists on watching what happens and he gets to have the fun experience of watching his friend Jasper shot, presumably to death, though it's not clear, um, by Luke, who is trying to find out what what happened to Key and um, the rest of them. Then uh, Miriam, Theo, and Key flee to the meeting spot that Jasper set up for his contact, who's going to take them into the concentration camp. Um, they're at a now defunct and totally abandoned school because of course mm -hmm. kids are not there to go to school. No kids, no school. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it's a school that's been like overrun by nature. A deer is running through the hallway. Um, mm -hmm. And this is when Miriam and Theo speak and we get a little glimpse into Miriam's life where she had worked as a midwife. And so she remembers when babies First, it's like, I guess, quite a series of miscarriages happening. Um, and then increasingly just nobody getting pregnant anymore. Um, and so then she talks about how she called her sister in Australia and the same was happening there. 
Um, and, and so basically she's got quite a lot of sadness in her eyes here of like watching, um, this happen. And I think again, in the kind of post COVID world, she speaks like, you know, like how a lot of, um, healthcare people would speak about COVID, you know, like watching Mm -hmm. what feels like the world ending before your eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, then they meet up with the contact that Jasper has made that's going to take them into uh, the immigrant camp. Um, and unfortunately, while they're in this truck being driven to this internment camp, uh, Key starts having contractions. But of course, Yikes. they have to, they still are committed to the notion of not hiding it. know that she's pregnant. Yeah. yeah. Um, then they get put onto the bus that's going to take them directly inside of the camp. And while Key is struggling, trying to hide her contractions, which is like, good luck to you, dude. Um, uh, Miriam and Theo talk about how they're going to find this human project ship, what the plan is. Um, The boat is arriving at sunset the following day. Um... And Miriam then reveals that there has never, ever been direct contact with a human project. Um, And so Theo is like extremely skeptical that this is even going to, that this boat will even show up, that anything will even happen. Um, And while they're kind of fighting about that, Key's water breaks. (sighs) And that's a trouble, unsurprisingly. Not great timing. Um, And so... uh, this was unclear to me kind of what was going on in this because it seems like there was a first stop that this bus was making that was um, like a culling spot or something because some people were being taken off the bus here and they were clearly not being brought to the camp later where we end up. And this is kind of what happens is like Key is making noises, a guard then starts paying attention to her in a way that is negative. And so Miriam stands up and starts distracting him. Um, And she gets pulled off the bus to this culling area where we see more cages and stuff. And so we never, and then we never see her again. So unclear. It didn't look good. It didn't didn't look look like good. It did. They put a bag over her head and we didn't see her again, but then we saw like people clearly being lined up like for a firing squad then like bodies like it didn't look like she was gonna you know survive yeah yeah then we get to the interior of this immigrant concentration camp itself um which is where there's a another contact that has been set up um a person named marichka who um can't speak their language at all. And it was unclear to me what language she was speaking. Um, But she brings them to this predetermined hiding spot. And this is where, like, as soon as they have an opportunity to be stopping moving, Key gives birth to a child. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, again, like... Whenever birth is depicted in TV and movies, it always seems like it's like very straightforward and easy most of the time. And yeah, unless is, it's is unless it, it's like supposed to be showing 
something a, a going particular wrong. difficulty. Yeah. 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 And so this was that. I like in my handwritten notes, I wrote seems weirdly easy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, like it seemed to only take like a couple minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember if they showed it because I can't, I think I was like a little bit like distracted at this point, but um, do they show any like cutting of umbilical umbilical cords or anything like that? They don't show any of that. They don't show any of that. Um, And like, what if this baby had been in distress? Like, I know. Well, we don't see any of that. We don't see what happens to the afterbirth. We don't see any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then what we do learn is that uh, Key gives birth to a little girl. Mm-hmm. And and then we get a little kind of peek at what she looks like. Although, I got to say, I think that baby was CGI. I don't think that was a real Really? Baby. Oh, because I was it thinking it was kind of cute. weird as hell. <laughs> Really? <laughs> to me, it well, looked very uncanny valley and strange. Huh. Well, I definitely have heard, you know, directors and stuff talk about how, like, it is quite rare that it's a real baby used in scenes. Sure. I mean, it happens, yeah. obviously, because they need to get some shots that don't look crazy. But relatively rare because instinctually humans act differently around baby than they would you know and even I mean I would say 99% of the or 90% of the time in this it is obviously a fake baby and something that's being like covered and blah 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 but when it's the face I was thinking it kind of looked real but it was very tiny so maybe you're right I don't know whatever it was it looked pretty cute (laughs) I I don't agree but that's fine really um no it looked strange to me um Hmm. Maybe you're so right. they go to, who knows? Um, they go to sleep, and then the next day, the cop that has helped them into the immigrant camp has come back, and all chaos, like everything, has fallen apart at this point because he says mm-hmm. that somebody has bombed the perimeter wall of the camp, and he's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to know anything. I think this has to do with you guys because that's their way into the ocean somehow. Anyway. It was unclear. Mm. And he was like, I don't want to know anything about this, but I think it has to do with you guys. Um, <laughs> Marichka has also been there in speaking whatever gobbledygook she's speaking. Um, but then the cop realizes that Key seems to be like holding the blanket in a certain way. And he's like, what have you got under there? And she's like, nothing, nothing. And Theo's like, nothing, nothing. But in, in the end he forces her to reveal this baby and both Marichka and the cop are super shocked. Um, but mm-hmm. then the cop immediately is like, I'm going to, this is my new thing now. Like I'm going to blackmail you. This is um, my new thing. And now. I'm going to, I'm going to like use this to my advantage in some capacity. And, but so they start to run away from him. And this is when Marichka kind of like helps them escape by attacking the cop um right and then theo asks her like he's like we're supposed to be finding a boat and because marichka doesn't speak english he has to draw a picture of a boat on a wall and she's like oh yeah 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 i know what you're looking for um (laughs) which is interesting in and of itself um yeah as they are trying to get to the place 
that will lead them to the boat. Luke shows up along with his fishes crowd. And it's become clear that they're the ones who did the bombing Mm -hmm. so that they could get this baby back. Now, I don't know how they figured out this is where they are. They're so annoying. But that's what they're here to do. Me neither. And so in the midst of them attacking, because, like, you know, it's it's a military encampment. Like, so they're attacking soldiers. There's, like, all this chaos. There's also a scene that shows that there's, like, some sort of um, Muslim group that's walking through with big AK-47 things. And I was like, what's this about? I didn't get that. How did they get weapons into this place? But, like, I don't know. Like, anyway, there's a lot. It's just utter chaos at this point. Yeah, I didn't get Um, – this is definitely a point where I was like, who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? Not sure, like, what's going on up in here. Well, I don't, I think probably that is maybe the point is that there isn't anyone clearly good entity Mm. here. Like Mm. everyone has their interests that they're pursuing and to an extent they're understandable, but that doesn't necessarily make them good or bad. It's just like, this is what you're doing. So in the case of Luke, he takes Key and the baby away. And so Key and Theo get separated for quite a while and this is when we we actually follow Theo through this, and this is when it's the super yeah. long shot of all of yeah. the chaos. Um, and I think the reason that I started to notice because this I don't think I noticed until this scene, this set same. of shots. Yeah, and I same. think what helped me realize that it was happening was because at one point a little bit of blood came up onto the lens. Yes. Uh huh. And. And the camera was moving in such a way where I was like, that blood is in the same spot the whole time that the camera, mm-hmm. like once the blood gets onto it, it doesn't leave the like the yeah. field of view. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, mm-hmm. oh God, have they just, and so then I was like thinking, did they just have to drop that blood back onto the same spot? For however many shots this took, and then I was like, well, it "Oh my look god, like it's more than one shot. It looks like it's one." <laughs> and, and so then, yeah. I was like, yeah. "Whoa, whoa, whoa! This is wild." Um, I yeah. would say if you are a movie person of the sort who likes that kind of thing, like enjoying the technical elements of movies, if you like blood this, on the camera, <laughs> well, you don't necessarily need to like that, but like. This shot in particular is worth a watch, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really striking how much action is put into what appears to be a single shot. Sure. Um, and so there's this massive shootout. Um, Theo eventually does reconnect with Key by following the sound of a crying baby. Um, yeah, and this helpful in if you know there's only one in the world. <laughs> well, correct, and that and that in itself was interesting because like whenever the shooting was like dying down, people you could see the extras and stuff reacting to the sound of a baby crying with this like right stripe. You know, like is that really what I think? Right, is what I'm hearing? Is that really what I think I'm hearing? And mm-hmm. again, as you were saying before, like. Even the most non-maternal people like you and I, um, as human beings, <laughs> we are still attuned to the sound of a baby's cry and mm-hmm. can hear it in a particular way. 
and respond to it in a particular way. And all these people were doing that, which I thought, like, I was like, for extras, they're really doing quite a lot of, like, acting work here, I would yeah. say. Um, mm-hmm. So he finds Key and the baby. Luke is also around. And there's this kind of um, scene or mini scene between the three of them where Luke says, he can't leave, we need him. And then Theo is like, it's a girl. And Mm -hmm. there's an interesting look on Luke's face for a brief second that's like, I didn't think it would be a girl. Kind of like that a girl won't be Mm -hmm. as useful somehow, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But then at the same time, he's like, well, we still need them. And Theo is like, no, that's it. Like, we're, we're done, so here. Um, mm-hmm. and so then everything stops. It's really interesting. Like it, beca- it gets yeah. very quiet and we watch as Theo and Key walk out of this like totally bombed out building with all of these various refugee people and they're just reacting to the sight and sound of this baby. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as they're coming out of the building, ev- like the quiet follows them because when the soldiers are coming, who are coming up the stairs see, then, like, the soldier tells everyone to stop shooting. He's like, stop, 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 you know, like, mm-hmm. um, because this is too important. And I think we see even some of the soldiers cross themselves in response mm-hmm. to seeing this baby. Um, and so then Theo, Theo and Key manage to get sort of away from the violence, and then, weirdly, all the shooting starts again. And I'm like... Well, what are you fighting for now? Like, it's what, very odd. I, that's odd. I don't really understand anybody's motivation throughout. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I guess maybe because I guess the people who are shooting would be like the soldiers and the fishes and maybe some of those Muslim people who were wandering yeah. around with guns. It's, it, sort of se- it sort of seemed to me that it was one of those things where like we're just like in this violence and I'm not even positive that any of them could articulate what the goal was anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah, <clears throat> they were all right. just like, well, that person has a gun. They're shooting at me. So like, here we go. Like, well, I, yeah, I guess probably from the soldier's perspective, at least the fishes, they're still terrorists. And so we need mm. to neutralize that. Mm. I don't know what that Muslim group would have to do with anything, yeah. but you know, um, so that it, it, everything kind of resumes again and there's this chaos. Yeah. Marichka then takes them down into the sewer where this boat has been waiting. And again, she doesn't get in the boat with them, which mm-hmm. I guess is a bit of a surprise to them both, which is, I don't know why it's a surprise, but it is. Um, and so then they go out the drain um, from the camp into the open sea and they're meant to go to these particular buoys and wait for the human project boat that's supposed to come. Um, when they get out on the water, it's extremely foggy. Um, yeah. And so they just kind of hang out by this buoy. And I will say, like, there were some moments of levity in this movie. And one of the things that I did enjoy is, like, they finally get out to this buoy and they're just kind of sitting around waiting. And Theo says, what a day. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, yeah, not the best. 
Yeah, and it was delivered in such an like an offhanded way, like the way you would say over just like kind of a tough work day or something. You know, like what a day. Yeah. Um. So I enjoyed that. Um. But unfortunately, the boat has yet to arrive. It seems like it's maybe late. In the meantime, Key sees blood on the floor of the boat, and at first thinks she's like bleeding out. Mm-hmm. But then Theo is like, no, no. I was hit in the shootout at some point. Um, and so it's, which seems un- it's like, a lot of blood. Which seems, yeah, well, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not glad that he was shot, but I will say throughout that, like, long shot of him. Um, right, that he wouldn't have been running around. Been shocking, yeah. I mean, insane, really, because, like, the amount of, like, the amount of, gunfire and the amount of times he was just like hiding behind like a little wall or whatever like it it was it would be shocking if he wasn't hit at least once so he seems to be dying but in the meantime he says to key like keep your baby close never let anyone kind of take her away from you um i guess the implication there is like we don't we you and i the audience don't know we don't really have a sense of like what the politics of this world are. Yeah. Um, And we certainly don't know what the politics or desires of the human project are. Right. So he's just like, you know, don't become a pawn for any of these Mm -hmm. various groups who want to kind of take your baby and use it for their own ends sort of thing. Yeah. He also shows her how to comfort the baby. Cause this is also what I think is interesting is like, Um, Because she says at one point when she was talking about being pregnant, she was like, I wasn't sure right away what was going on because no one had ever told me because why would they? So like, you know, um, so here again, she's like, I have no idea how to hold a baby. I don't know know what to do with a baby. And so he Mm -hmm. like shows her how to like hold it and comfort it. Um, And then this is when she says, because throughout the movie, she's also been test driving some different possible names for this baby. Um, And she finally says, well, I'll name the baby Dylan, which was his dead son's name. Um, And then then I say in my handwritten notes, he learns this and then he dies. But I guess because then the boat shows up. And the boat is called Tomorrow. And I guess we're supposed to assume... This is this is where the end is like, is that the human project? Does mm-hmm. Theo survive? And if that's the human project, should we be happy that they've come to get these people? Or will this be like a new set of problems that we're, we're just not seeing in this movie? Because... Right. That happens, and then we get the final, it goes to black again, title card, Children of Men, and rather than credit music, we get the sound of kids playing, and that's it. That's haunting. Um, Yeah, I don't like the sounds of disembodied children's voices. No, 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 (laughs) no, 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 it's... not not good and it's been used too many times in movies as like a creepy thing so i think i think it's been yeah ruined. so you're that's yeah we're conditioned to think it's bad even if the point of this movie was to say it was nice yeah yeah 
Yeah. So then I guess, what do you think happened? Are, like, I don't know. I mean, that's where like, it's one of those things where I didn't find that super hopeful. I mean, yes, it's more hopeful than it ending with them like in a bombed out building being like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I suppose we're supposed to just like accept or if that this human project will be. Like, right. what if it had yeah, just if been the, them on the boat waiting and nothing else? Like, that wouldn't have been... That seems like that would have been really bleak because I think that seems scarier almost, like, that's certain death. If you're out on that water with, like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. one coming. Yeah, they don't um, have, like, In a little fucking boat like wait. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially with him dead, like, she's fucked. And not right. because I don't mean that in, like, the sense that, like, oh, the big man is dead now, the little lady is fucked. But, like, she's going to have to row that no. boat with a baby and, like, she doesn't have, right. like, no. She's all by um, herself trying to. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, I guess, like, f- for what it's worth, it's hopeful. Like, I maybe, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> but the rest of it is just all the rest of it is be, so bleak that it just like yeah. it's hard yeah. for that like one little thing to make me be like oh that was happy <laughs> yeah i mean the ending could be bleaker yes sure. like there are ways it could be done to be up like without a doubt like no hope whatsoever um but so i guess with that in mind i'm like well they could have made it be just so clearly no hope at all like Brazil. But I guess. this one chose to give us the the slight possibility that things might get better. And so I guess I'll take that as a sign of hope. Yeah, because I'll take it. it. The Christmas season after all. And I'll I take it. It's it's hard after like everyone else has died to be like, oh that felt fun. But yes, I no, I, I guess mean, it's I don't better than the alternative. I don't think this movie was meant to feel fun at all. Um, well, if it was, they missed the mark. <laughs> yeah, that 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 definitely wasn't it. <laughs> so, um, on to yawns and eye rolls. In terms of yawns, one yawn means like I was super engaged by this, totally scintillating. And ten yawns is like I really struggled to keep my eyeballs on this. What would you give mm. it? Uh, I would say like maybe a 3.5 to 4. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was engaging, but I definitely like had my moments. Um, it definitely like definitely edged into like too dystopian for me and too much like sure. black dirt all over people's hands and stuff. Um, <laughs> so, so I, it was, yeah, three and a half to four. Yeah, I think I might give it like a two or three, um, mainly because, and I'm surprised you didn't mention this, the runtime is pretty long. Yes, yes, um, yes. That's, I mean, it's an hour 49. Um, and Of course, I that, knew you would know it. <laughs> and that's about, like, I mean, it's at the very top of my threshold. Yes, like, for sure, um, yeah. But I, but I could have done with 20 minutes less. Yeah, I mean, and especially what I noticed in the context of doing the outline and stuff is, like, this is a long movie in which very little happens. Yeah. Um, this is a 
this is a lot of us watching things and seeing yeah. things and having there be kind of long periods of um, action sequence. Oh, nothingness. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, or and that definitely like plays into in, my... Taking in the view kind of. Yeah. Um, and that's fine, but I agree with you. Like, some of that could be cut for the sake of, yeah, brevity, yeah. whatever you yeah. want to say. So... Um, in terms of eye rolls, one eye roll is like, I totally bought into this world and didn't see anything that was too extreme. And then 10 eye rolls is like, this is nonsense. And I like, everything was too extreme. What would you give it? Hmm. Uh, I maybe would come up in the middle there, maybe like a five ish. I don't think it Mm. was, um, I didn't fully, I mean, I, I didn't fully buy into the whole idea of infertility causing this level of chaos and damage. Sure. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think like right in the middle for me. Yeah. Cause it wasn't like crazy out there. Yeah. Five. Yeah. No, I think for me, I would even go closer to like a two even because Mm. as depressing as this world was that we saw um it didn't you bought it yeah alien and uh, I didn't have to stretch to get there you know like no I guess that's um, true and particularly what I would say is like thinking about how this movie was made in 2006 I think is useful too for this context of like the emphasis on like Muslim terrorism groups or whatever that was that was going on there um that was very kind of that era of the Iraq war Mm. you know Mm. um it's not to say that there aren't various religious extremist groups like they still exist of course and they're not only uh Muslim they are also Christian in particular um yeah so all of that is still there but it had kind of a flavor that I don't think would like if they were making this movie now. I don't think it would be quite that way because it was so of that moment, that kind of an, very particular yeah. anti-Muslim feeling as a result of the Iraq War. Yeah. Um, whereas now we've evolved into a different level of feeling that is anti-Muslim. Um, oh Lord. So so yeah, to me that's why it had a kind of texture to it that felt mm. believable, and so for that I'd give it a two. Got it. Um, okay. And so finally, did you like this and would you recommend it? Um, no, and probably <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, it's just a kind of a bummer. Like, so it's just yeah. not, it's just yeah. not for me. It's not that it was bad or like right. poorly done. And I would, you know, I'll echo no, what I would you said actually before. say this is a good movie. Like, yeah, it's well done. I just wouldn't like prefer to put my eyes on it again. Like yeah. and and I wouldn't really put it on anyone else other than to say like maybe <laughs> similar to what you said if you're uh, into cinematography and like long shots or something, maybe watch some of those, scrub through and watch some of those if you're interested in that. But I wouldn't necessarily like tell someone, "Please go watch this movie that'll bum you out." 
And definitely not in the Christmas season. <laughs> yeah. Definitely I definitely, I definitely, let me tell you what I definitely wouldn't do. I wouldn't be like, hey, I know a Christmas movie. It's called Children of Men. Check it out. Like, no, yeah. I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be like, it's a downer. Probably avoid it unless you're like really into, again, those long cinematography shots. Yeah, that is what I would say as well. I don't, I can't say that I liked this and I can't say that I would recommend it. However, the caveat is I do think it's worth taking a look at some of those long shots, particularly that final one in the battle, because it is really, when you appreciate what's happening, it is really striking to see and cool. Um, But no, beyond that, I would say... And I, again, this is kind of ironic to me because I would also say, is this a good movie? Yes. You know, like it is. The story's Yeah, but there's plenty of good movies you know, that I'd be like, no thanks. Yeah. And so this is one of those. And there's plenty um, of bad movies that I would say absolutely fucking watch. Like, so, <laughs> I know. It's true. So it's, it's a true. weird. It's true. Um, well, this has been, I think, a fabulous Christmas installment. Um, <laughs> next week, we will be back with a New Year's Eve content film. Um, I think, Amy, that's uh, going to be a Hallmark or similar of your choosing. Ooh, fantastic. So, uh, Ooh. Get excited for that. Um, so from all of us here uh, at the Walsh family business of See You Next Week in Space, uh, <laughs> we wish you all the best in this holiday season, whether you care about Christmas or not. Um, mm-hmm. And we will, of course, as always, see you next week in space. Ooh. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.